Everybody, what is going on? It is your boy, Crypto Bobby. I hope you are having a great day, great night, wherever you are watching or listening in from. And welcome to another episode, another edition of the Crypto Bobby podcast. And uh, today, if you are long Bitcoin, if you're long crypto assets, uh, don't look at the charts and don't listen to this podcast because things are just wonderful and fantastic. And if you close your eyes and you, you close your ears and if you click your heels two times together um you know maybe things will be great again but for right now eh, we're, we're we're not in a beautiful spot uh, but popped on live to crypto happy hour or in this case really a, a crypto sad hour on youtube took a bunch of questions talked generally speaking about uh my thoughts on just the market where we're at here kind of is it worth freaking out why, why is the market going down a, a bunch of questions around that so obviously a lot of people a little bit worried right now as we pull back from the peak of $13,000 to 12 to 11 to 10 sitting at 10 for quite a long time. And now we are sub $8,000 or sitting around $8,000 for a second day in a row, taking a nice, nice deep dive in the Bitcoin world. And also for basically all the altcoins as well, since obviously they all trade together. Before we hop into today's episode, I want to talk to you about my friends over at NetSuite. Look, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem that growing businesses have, and I've found this myself, that keeps them from knowing their numbers is the hodgepodge of business systems. You got one system for accounting, you have one system for sales, another system for inventory. It's a big inefficient mess when it comes down to managing your business and it's taking way too much time, way too many resources, and it hurts your bottom line. Well, Look no further than NetSuite by Oracle. It is the business management software system that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform that gives you the visibility across business lines that you need to grow. And with NetSuite, you save time, money, and those unneeded headaches by managing your sales, your finance, your accounting, orders, HR instantly, right from your desktop, from your phone, anywhere with the cloud. And that's why it is the number one business management cloud system. So if you go right now, NetSuite is offering valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash Bobby. That's netsuite.com slash B-O-B-B-Y to download your free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits, netsuite.com slash B-O-B-B-Y. Let's hop into it. Uh, and my man B Smooth says, Bobby, shut the F up with the fundamentals. They clearly don't mean shit. Um, and yes, that's true. And yes, it's not true. Uh, and that's a bad kind of talk around answer. But I do think, especially when you look at Bitcoin, fundamentals do matter uh, in the long run. Short term fluctuations, they absolutely don't mean anything, which I think you're seeing right now. And I also do think that there are um, kind of a, a variety of components that go into it. Somebody had just mentioned the other day about there's a tweet on something on Twitter that got uh, a lot of traction. Obviously, if you post anything bullish on Twitter, you get a ton of traction. It's the same thing every time. But this person put out a tweet that at, at surface level, I don't remember exactly um, who it was, but at the surface level said, you know, the things that are happening on a macro level are incredibly bullish. You have backed launching for institutional investors. You have SoFi, which I'm not sure if you folks saw. SoFi launched their uh, crypto investment product so if you have a SoFi account, you can put your money into to Bitcoin and crypto assets. I think they're using Coinbase for that. And there were one or two other things that they also mentioned. But really, the big thing was like back to SoFi and a few other things. And they were saying, you know what, guys, regardless of the price fluctuations, this is incredibly bullish. And I do think that there are certain bullish elements 
of that, but it also doesn't necessarily solve major problems as well. So there's there's kind of two sides of the coin here that I think are important when you look at the quote unquote fundamentals uh, and some of the BS behind it. Fundamentally speaking, the the on ramps for the in, the industry and the infrastructure that's being built in the industry is a light years ahead of where we've been in the past few years. Um, somebody talked about it the other day, and I think I talked about it on the podcast where the kind of joke was, you know, five years ago, you had to buy your, you basically had to buy Bitcoin or one of the only places to buy Bitcoin was on a repurposed Magic the Gathering trading card website, Mt. Gox. Even maybe a little bit before that, you had to go to a 7-Eleven or to uh, a, like a Western Union to to buy Bitcoin through BitInstant. Like the, the, the levels of sophistication that we've come from Mt. Gox, which was a guy who loved... Uh, just boba tea and freaking magic the gathering cards to uh new york the new york stock exchange and ice running a bitcoin derivative or uh kind of a bitcoin futures contract is incredibly there's there's a night and day difference on the other end of the spectrum though it doesn't necessarily supply or solve the demand problem and that's what you're looking at right now at least in my personal opinion is yes the infrastructure is getting built every single day there are improvements to the infrastructure every single day if you tell yourself that that is not the case that's an incorrect thought process in my personal opinion i i get i get a, an awesome chance to talk to these companies on a daily basis that are building stuff in this space that are building infrastructure building products everything is you know the, the products themselves the infrastructure it's getting better on a day-to-day -day basis on the other end of the spectrum, there's not necessarily new people coming into the industry. That is where the problem lies. And for certain assets, especially for something like Bitcoin, where you, know, you have a, a supply and demand issue. And if there is uh, more demand than there is supply, obviously the price is going to go up. The price has gone up so far this year, but it's pulled back significantly since we hit that $14,000 mark. On the other end of the, you know, on the other end of the coin here, you have um, just this kind of thought process ever since 2017. And I don't necessarily know if we've kind of solved that demand or if we've seen any type of increase or spike in demand. So I do agree with you where somebody says the fundamentals don't mean crap or shit or whatever. And and that's definitely true, especially in the short term. Um, I think supply and demand is, is the biggest issue in the space right now. And there really is not a demand or there is, you've seen this specifically with altcoins. The altcoins have just gotten absolutely smoked because there is no demand for speculation on altcoins. No one was buying altcoins to use them. So they're buying them to speculate on them, but there was no greater fool. There was no next person coming in to speculate on top of what you already speculated on. So people started giving up and then that started a cascading shitcoin waterfall. And then here we are. And so CryptoFish says, I don't mind the dip helps me get better positions on my trading. And this is something where, I mean, for me, I am, as a lot of you guys know, I'm a big fan of dollar cost averaging. I've kind of been that way and I continue to do so with Bitcoin and also with ETH. I more so I, I donate for, for example, like my, my typical kind of move is on a weekly basis. This is just made up numbers, but the ratio is right. I'll put a hundred dollars into Bitcoin on a weekly basis and $50 into Ethereum. Um, let's say twice as confident in Bitcoin being long-term successful as as Ethereum from an investment standpoint. So let's just say I put two to one into uh, into Bitcoin and then uh, into Ethereum. Um, when something like yesterday happens, I went into Coinbase and immediately uh, bought as soon as I saw the price go from ten thousand from ten thousand dollars or so all the way down to eighty four hundred. 
I bought in the $8,400 range, and then I bought ETH at about 163, 164. So yeah, I'm still down a little bit, but I would rather when, in addition to doing my consistent dollar cost averaging that I, I don't use a brain, I just automate it, I go for it. When I do see a big dip, I buy it down there as well. And I'll buy a little bit more too, just because if, hey, if it bounces, I, I had a great opportunity. If not, I just consider it an additional dollar cost average. So I don't hate it there at all. Paul Joseph's valuation on most of these cryptos are still way too high, bottom line. I would agree on on some assets for sure. There's There are a number, like across the board, there's a... Uh, across the board, there are a ton of cryptocurrencies that uh, are definitely overvalued, significantly overvalued. Uh, and to that point, you are more than welcome to short a great deal of them. And I do think that <laughs> I am not opposed to, to shorting... Uh, a number of assets. Um, I'm still waiting on HBAR to get to get added to a margin trading platform. I've been licking my lips to short that since it was at like eight cents. I think it's at like three cents now. So that kind of sucks. But um, yeah, I there are, there are a number of different, especially as you start to see more and more of these large cryptocurrency uh, projects get released that raised in 2018, like late 2017, early 2018, the large, mostly VC funded projects. I'm personally pretty excited to put some money behind shorts uh, on those in addition to some of the long positions I have. So if I do, I'll, I'll definitely let you know. But as of now, uh, Enrique Garcia, best places to short these altcoins. Uh, well, if you're not in the US or, um, you know, uh, BitMEX is obviously one of the most liquid places uh, to, to short crypto. Uh, you don't have every single altcoin by any stretch, but there are definitely some some options out there. Um, FTX, which is another one that I think a lot of people are pretty getting pretty high on, but it's also fairly uh, it's also fairly complex too. I think a lot of people have no idea what they're doing when they use FTX. I myself have not used it, um, but a, a lot of people have started to use FTX because they have a variety of derivative. Uh, tokens and and kind of assets that you can trade and specifically they have these doom tokens that are basically 10x leveraged shorts that you can trade as well as they have a what they call like the shitcoin index so i think it's literally called like shit on the exchange so uh, if you were to go you can trade um you can margin trade shitcoin you can mark you can you can buy these doom assets as well that are or you can also alternatively buy buy moon assets but they are relatively or ex extremely, they're an extremely easy way to, to lose your money, uh, especially with the volatility of crypto in general. If you're talking about how a lot of this stuff works. I think it is, um, it's definitely a pretty, pretty volatile place to be when you're talking about 10x leverage shorts. Um, if you, you know, if you use Bitfinex, Bitfinex also has margin trading um, as well if you're not in the US. So there's, I mean, if you're in the US, the the options for you are definitely more limited, but uh, if you want to get creative, you know you can figure things out on your own. <laughs> yeah, somebody else mentioned Bybit. I mean, so the one thing to to think about too when you look at all these, and this is just general advice on my end when you're looking at trading. And number one, uh, just margin trading in general, leverage trading in general. Um, be be very 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 careful just it's the easiest way to get like 
I'm sure if you've tried it before and you've, you you get cocky, you do whatever, you know, it's a very, very nice way to get liquidated, very nice way to lose a lot of money. Um, so be be extremely careful and cautious when you are, um, you know, doing anything with margin trading. But also when you're looking at a lot of these exchanges, especially on Twitter, a lot of people are talking about these things. You see, you know, BitMEX is the best, then you see Bybit's the best, then you see Deribit's the best, then you see FTX is the best. And after every single one, there's a ref link. Um, so there's always an incentive to be kind of pitching these things. And I'm not against reflinks at all. I've used reflinks. I've made money off reflinks. Um, they're, they're, they're not bad, especially if you're pitching something or if you're talking about something that is a good product. But, um, I, I think that you just want to always do your research before you choose any trading platform in particular, uh, and always just be aware, like, especially for people that are new to the crypto space in general, um, or not even new, but like. You're, you're a buy and hold Bitcoin guy or you're buy and hold some altcoin guy. And now you're tired of losing money on altcoins. So you want to short altcoins, but you don't know what cross margin is and you don't know what leverage is. Like, don't start putting real money behind this stuff because that is the easiest way to lose a ton of money. And that's the last thing you want to do when you're... I, just, just be very, very careful. <laughs> we are fucked. I... I love there. There's nothing I love more, to be honest with you guys, uh, than the the up and down, just sentiment of crypto. And as much as we we're talking about fundamentals before, and you know all, all this type of stuff, we're talking about fundamentals, right? Fundamentally, in crypto, the biggest thing I think is psychology. Like that is one of you can look at trades, and I and I know a lot of people are excuse me. You can look at technical analysis, and I know that's kind of an extension too of psychology in general of just human emotion. Uh, and a lot of those components. But I do think that when you are examining this industry, one of the biggest things is just the psychology of individuals and kind of the capitulation aspects and, and the absolute fear and then the greed component. There, are, There is a variety of things uh, when it does come down to this industry. And I think understanding human psychology is, and also understanding your own too. Like it's really easy within this stuff to just absolutely freak yourself out um, and quite frankly, shit your pants when it comes down to owning Bitcoin or some crypto asset or whatever it might be. So it's, it's always best to avoid that as much as possible. <laughs> uh, XRP freak, uh, classic name, great name. As you guys all know, I'm a huge XRP guy. Just kidding. But, uh, XRP freak says, Bobby, who the hell is selling at these prices? Nobody I know. Well, you might need to expand your network a little bit, XRP Free, because clearly some people are selling, uh, and it's more people than are buying, as we see with the price of the crypto market. At this exact time, there are indeed, in fact, people selling Bitcoin and a variety of other crypto assets at this exact moment. Kyle Hayes is... Um, so shout out to Kyle. I haven't seen this level of positivity in the chats in a while. Um, only the idiots that hold will get destroyed. Um, he's just been a, a bundle of, of joy and happiness. And you know, I'm Kyle. It's it's a it's a pleasure to uh, pleasure to, to to see you here, buddy. And uh, as always, it's wonderful, man. And so Stefan says this. This is an interesting. If you guys haven't seen this yet, there, so there's a there's a lot of cool. Is that pretty cool? So there's a lot of cool uh, different DeFi platforms that, that we've seen in the past. And I'll give you a quick rundown of a few of them. Um, 
or two of my two of my favorite recently that are coming out. So we also have steak. This is a uh, a neat one as well. So for some of you guys that are interested in the interesting, the cool products, I think that are being built, whether or not you like Bitcoin, whether or not you like Ethereum, whatever it is, there are some really cool things that are being built in the quote unquote DeFi space uh, in crypto right now. This is one of those things. This is, we've talked about it before, but it is a way to automate your trading process based upon a couple of different set parameters. So there is uh, what these are called sets. It's by set protocol and they call these token sets. And so let's say for this one right now, we can view, we'll look at this. So they have different tokens and they're based upon the moving average. So when something, so this is the ETH 20 day moving average crossover token, and it attempts to capitalize on short-term trends and accumulate ETH. So the 20 Dow automatic, the 20 day uh, moving average crossover token will automatically tri trigger rebalances. So when it goes below the, when it goes below the uh, 20 day moving average, it will sell its ETH for USD or for DAI, I believe it actually is, or USDC. Um, oh, uh, I think it's for, for USDC, excuse me. So it will sell ETH for USDC. And then uh, if it crosses back above, it will uh, sell that USDC for uh, and buy back ETH with it. So basically it is kind of trend trading based upon the moving average. And so what you do is you actually buy the token itself with your Ethereum and then it will automatically do the rest for you. And ultimately what it's trying to do, as it says, is to accumulate ETH in the long run and build up your portfolio that way by trading on the moving averages. So this is pretty cool because they have a number of different uh, sets that you can do. You can also do weighted. So you can buy, uh, if you have a bunch of ETH, you can buy weighted BTC and ETH, or you could buy a 75% token or uh, a token with ETH that is 75% Bitcoin, 25% ETH. Uh, and a bunch of different range bound things as well. So that's pretty cool. I would definitely check that out. It's called set or tokensets.com. It's by set protocol. The other one that's interesting, and this is uh, another uh, another project that that I like. I know the guys at Staked uh, also work with them a bit with proof of talent. So uh, Staked, I think is a pretty pretty cool company as well. But so they created this uh, robo, as or robo advisor for yield. They're calling it Ray. What does Stake do? Traditionally, they run proof of stake infrastructure for different types of crypto assets, primarily for crypto funds, family offices, institutional investors, etc. But what they're doing with this is they're allowing uh, individuals to take Dai, and there are a bunch of different ways you can earn yield on Dai. Dai is a, a stablecoin, kind of closely pegged to the dollar, not always, but pretty closely pegged to the dollar. When you put your DAI into this smart contract, what it does is it evaluates who has the highest yield on compound finance, DYDX or BZX, and then will automatically put your DAI to those places so that you're always earning the maximum yield in DeFi. So right now, the maximum yield that you're earning is 9.48% annually. Um, so it will automatically, it's kind of a robo advisor. It's like a Betterment or a Wealthfront, but for uh, but for the, the DeFi landscape with DAI. So another thing that's definitely worth uh, checking out as well, obviously with anything like this, there's smart contract risk and a number of other components. Um, they have a smart contract audit by Trail of Bits, which is one of the larger uh, security auditing, smart contract auditing firms out there, but still pretty pretty cool, pretty interesting product in general.
So Stefan says this, and I do think we can we can touch on this a little bit. There's been a lot of, of recent conversation around Lightning Network on-ramp. So I run a Casa node. Uh, it's great. Uh, you know, I, I am positive on the long-term outlook of, of Lightning in general. Um, but so SparkSwap is, is one that created a fiat on-ramp to bring money directly in, into the Lightning Network. So you don't have to go fiat, Bitcoin, Bitcoin on Lightning. It's kind of a long drawn out process makes it difficult or a longer drawn out process. Uh, another one zap, which is run by Jack Mallers. Um, he has created uh, within the zap wallet, which is a, a Bitcoin and lightning wallet. He has created a fiat on ramp as well that they're rolling out, which is pretty awesome. I think that those advancements are very much necessary for success within lightning. I do think personally that the biggest obstacle for Lightning isn't necessarily companies like Zap or companies like Spark, SparkSwap developing products. I think the biggest challenges for Lightning Network is overcoming the store of, or not necessarily overcoming, but kind of competing narratives. You have store value and you have this one narrative where like Bitcoin is this digital gold. It is this store of wealth. And it is this thing that you are going to hold on to. And one day it's going to be worth a million dollars for Bitcoin or a hundred thousand dollars for Bitcoin. And, and the price of everything else is going to go to shit. And you just want to stack Bitcoin as much as possible. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have lightning, which is primarily kind of built as this transactional layer, this fast near instant transactional layer on top of Bitcoin, but you're still spending Bitcoin. So, or you're still trading or transacting in Bitcoin. So they're kind of competitive in, in a way, the store of value narrative with Lightning as a whole. And it makes it, I think, a little bit challenging to see potentially adoption because ultimately not many, some people are, are very, either they have a lot of Bitcoin or they, they earn Bitcoin and they're happy to spend it. Um, but I think a lot of people look at Bitcoin personally as, this kind of moonshot bet of this is my hedge against something, or this is just my personal bet uh, against uh, the kind of government currencies or the macro environment, or I just think that this asset is going to do really well in the long term, so I'm going to bet on its success. And not many people want to be the next pizza guy. Um, and granted, there's a lot behind that as well, but not many people want to be the the story of hey, you know, I I had a I had a bunch of Bitcoin. When it was worth now, let's say $7,000 and looking back a few years after the next halving or something else and Bitcoin's at $100,000, not that many people want to be like, hey, you know, I had a bunch of Bitcoin when I was at $7,000 and this happened, that happened. I spent money here. I spent money there. And now I don't have as much Bitcoin and it went all the way up. And if I just held on to it, I think that is somewhat contra, somewhat competitive or contradictory to kind of lightning. And I think that is the bigger issue, not necessarily the actual development of the technology. Um, and But I do think that the, the stuff that is being built out is absolutely necessary. Otherwise, there's no shot. Um, but I do think that there is a good shot because there are good people developing uh, this software. Uh, Adam Noel says, sounds like BitConnect. Give us money and we'll make you money. No, not at all. I think, and that's really the unfortunate thing about BitConnect um, in many, many cases is now... I don't think people like in the cryptocurrency world, people are not able to separate the fact that there are legitimate use cases for lending and borrowing in the crypto world. There are very, very legitimate use cases, compound finance. So 
robo advisor for yield ray was staked uses compound finance uh or dydx so for like for let's say for compound finance we'll check that out we'll pull that up this is another project that's that's had a ton of success in general but uh for compound finance you have people that are supplying tokens so they're they're basically lending their assets out you have people that are borrowing those assets and because of that you're able to uh if you are supplying those assets you're able to generate a yield if you're borrowing you have to pay money for that that is very different than a legitimate literal pyramid scheme that was bitconnect and i think people uh either are intellectually lazy or they just want to group everything into one bucket and like applying the the two kind of components are completely separate like for example let's look at uh let's look at uh this supplying uh apr for ether if you were to supply eth to if you were to supply eth to compound finance you would only earn 0.03 percent annually that's like that's no like no money whatsoever point point zero percent three uh percent annually if you were to do that with uh die however that's eight percent annually but contrast that to the ponzi schemes out there contrast that to bitcoin you were earning one percent a day one percent a day not 365 days one percent a day with compound finance with actual like realistic rates and these you know are kind of automatically done over time but with compound finance i mean you're looking at for for the price of eth i mean that's a 30 30x difference on on a daily versus annual basis which is you just you can't compare the two uh Enrique says I love compound finance making great consistent returns there yeah that's awesome I I I've been a huge advocate for compound finance and for the the DeFi projects as a whole the only thing that to me I mean the big the big aspect is smart contract insurance um you know, die is really cool die is interesting um eight percent annually is is i mean find a find a savings account where you're earning two percent let alone eight percent that's incredible but you still have risks as far as what happens with die as well as potentially what happens with uh the smart contracts if there's ever a bug these aren't necessarily insured so like there's nobody to go to your money's just kind of poof uh so Kalo says, what about BlockFi? Uh, I'm a fan of BlockFi as well. I know the BlockFi team pretty well. Um, I would say, I mean, the thing you want to do is just go to LoanScan. Um, with LoanScan, you can check out the interest rate for these different assets. So for crypto or for US dollar for all of them. And then you can look at the different platforms as well. So there's a bunch of, I mean, there are, this is one of the biggest businesses right now in the crypto space. You have the BlockFi's, the the Nexos, the Compounds, the DYDX's, the Celsius's, the Nuos. Um, now you even have. I mean, it's kind of funny because they actually compare it to they compare it to Wealthfront, Betterment, and SoFi. And SoFi just got into to crypto. But if you look at this, it is pretty crazy because if you look at um, that's weird. I've never seen Linen before. It must be sponsored. But uh, if you look at the USDC rates versus what you get with a Wealthfront or a Betterment, if you were to lend on Celsius or CoinList uh, with USDC, you're making 9% annually with Celsius, 5.8% with CoinList. On Betterment, granted, it's uh, or Wealthfront, there's different things. There's no cryptocurrency involved. You're talking real USD. 
you're making between 1.8 and 2.2%. So pretty big difference there in general. Mike A, thoughts on Tezos during the sell-off? I still have my Tezos bag. I still am baking Tezos. I'm also going, I think I'm going to stop by the Tezos conference on, there's a TQ Tezos, which is one of the big kind of like development shops. They're kind of like consensus for Tezos. Uh, but TQ Tezos is having a conference in New York City on Monday and Tuesday. If you're there by any chance, definitely let me know. Um, but I think I'm going to stop by there at least on one of the days to the TQ Tezos event just to see what's going on. Um, also do some networking for proof of talent and a variety of other things. But I mean, I'm still pretty bullish long term on, on Tezos. I've been been staking for freaking forever. And uh, yeah, I you know it's uh, it is what it is. Tezos is obviously down quite a bit. But uh, I'm still bullish in the long run. Uh, Stefan says, are you planning on checking out Binance US? Luke's uh, mentioning or referencing Luke uh, Martin from Venture Coinist. Luke's interview with Catherine Cooley, the CEO, is pretty good. I signed up to check it out. Um, I have not signed up for Binance US yet. Uh, I likely will. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Luke's uh, channel in general, I think. Luke Venture Coinus is is one of the best dudes in the space, so I think he's he's awesome. And uh, I also have talked uh, briefly to, to to Catherine Cooley in the past from Binance US. Have a lot of respect for for what her and the team are trying to build. So um, I I have not signed up yet. I also don't know off the top of my head. I haven't checked, but if they are open to New York yet, or if that's just certain assets. So something to uh, you know something something to to think about. But yeah, I'm definitely not opposed to it. I've just been super busy with proof of talent. So um, that's kind of where, where I've been at now. So Organic FUD, shout out as always, my man. Um, is the entire crypto space a money grab? Well, there are there are a couple different things, I think, when you look at the crypto space. There are definitely money grab projects and you have to think about incentives. And that's, this is something that I've thought about kind of more and more over time. Uh, is incentive alignment in the cryptocurrency world. It's, it's The entire world is run on incentives in general, but incentive alignment in the cryptocurrency world, specifically in regards to a lot of projects and funding and, and continued development. So wh why do I think about incentives? Why do I think they're, they're generally important? Uh, so for like the ICO space, for the token sales space, or for these companies, especially a lot of these new like VC chains that are coming out now. You have like the Hedera's or the the Algorand's, a, a bunch of those. You have a lot of these different projects where you had investors come into the space very early, say it was late 2017, early 2018, put a lot of money in at a relatively low valuation. Let's say the valuation was uh, $50 million or $100 million. And all of a sudden this token is trading at a $1 billion, $2 billion, $3 billion market cap. If you're making 30x in your initial investment, they're going to be taking some profit for sure, right? They're going to be taking some profit. So there is not a ton of demand for these new assets. And you're starting to see, obviously, when those come online, you're starting to see a pretty immediate sell-off. You've seen that with Algorand. You've seen that with HBAR. You've seen that with a lot of these other uh, new kind of uh, ICOs that have happened. And you're also seeing it with just ICOs in general as the, the overall kind of supply and demand. So I don't think like in in totality, the space is a money grab. I do think that there are a lot of misaligned incentives in the long run that people still have not figured out. When you do a token sale, for example, if you raised, whatever, a company raised, let's say $100 million, $100 million in an ICO, $100 million in a token sale. They have $100 million in the bank now. There are no specific 
rewards. There are no specific guidelines. There is no specific instructions for them to do anything. It is basically up to them to build something, number one, because of like good faith. Um, you're, you're, you're trusting essentially that somebody there is, is building this technology in good faith because you actually think that um, you know, they're going to create that. But they, they don't have to. They've already raised the money. There is not necessarily a another kind of need for them to, to maybe raise money unless they want to go ahead and do that again, but they're not going to do a second token sale, most likely, although some companies have. Um, they're probably not going to do a second token sale. So when you already have all the money up front, what is the incentive structure there? It's to hopefully figure some things out and make it work, but there are a lot of misaligned incentives uh, as far as the industry has gone in general. You also have some things with... Um, developer incentives as well. Like I've talked about it before, but you have the the fair launch proof of work cryptocurrencies, the Bitcoins, the uh, the Bitcoins, the Litecoins, the Grins of the world that that launched without a pre, pre-mine, that launched without a token sale. But for some of those cryptocurrencies that are smaller, fair, you know, fair, fair launch crypto assets, it is very difficult for them to continue funding dev operations because they're not taking a pot they're not, they're not taking any bit of the mining rewards. They didn't have a token sale up front, so they don't have a money, a lot of money in the bank. So there, there's a bunch of things that are wrong with the industry in general, I think. And you're starting to see companies building realistic businesses with actual paths to profitability and or revenue models. That's important. And that's also something for me like that I try to focus on a lot with proof of talent is... If so, like, let's say, for example, you're interested in a job in crypto right now, right? You want to work in crypto, but you work at a good company, you have a good job, you you, you make money and you work at a, at a quote unquote normal company. It's a company that generates revenue and is profitable or like has another pathway to raising another VC round. Let's say it's a series B company and it's going to raise a series C and a series D and it's going to IPO, right? That's, that's probably going to happen, whatever. Um, and you're looking at working in the cryptocurrency industry, you likely want to go work for a company that you know is going to be around in a few years, right? It's not just investors. It's also the people that are, are potentially going to work there. So how do you know a company's going to be around? Well, they need a business model. A lot of companies raised money without a business model. And that is the problem that you see uh, when, you're, when you're examining a lot of this stuff. They don't, there's no way to make money outside of the initial revenue generation event. And it's okay. You, you raised a bunch of money. Well, how long is this going to sustain? How long is this money in the bank? How long can we manage this treasury before we actually have to figure out a way to, to bring in revenue? So X, and again, my man XRP Freak has been very active, so I appreciate that. Uh, but so he says, Bitcoin, Stellar, Ripple, Ethereum, and IOTA are being adopted and implemented on an enterprise level. That's how you determine the winners in this space. I do think that that is important. However, it still doesn't necessarily justify a valuation for the price of a, a token. And that's also, aside from the initial... So I, I'm on a soapbox rant now, of, of course, right? But aside from the initial issues that you have with the incentives around raising money and then continued development, you also have really bad... I hate the word token economics, but kind of token economics, I guess. A lot of these assets are designed to, to, to basically dump. Like there are a lot of components around whether it's a token sale or something like that, where you just have this consistent sell pressure. Like for example, XRP with Ripple. Ripple may be getting a ton of adoption. Ripple may be 
uh, you know, doing really well as far as bringing banks on board and and maybe signing up new customers. But if you are, you you don't you probably don't own Ripple Equity, I would assume. And if you have XRP, for example, Ripple is mostly funding its operations through the sale of XRP. That is a negative, or I would say, kind of an inflationary uh, aspect to the XRP price. And I think it has kind of suppressed the price over time, as you've seen in 2019. So I think that's one thing to consider. Um, you also have a number of other assets out there that like Stellar has a very high inflation rate. Stellar has done very poorly over time. Uh, Zcash might be building awesome, awesome technology, might be doing really cool things with privacy uh, and has a you know very strong team of, of computer scientists and cryptographers and people like that. But the supply rate is massive. And then you also have people that look at that and say, supply rate, founder's reward, I'm out. And you've seen, if you pull up the, the ZEC chart against BTC, it's an ugly chart 99% of the time. So something to, to just kind of always think about is even if you're looking at enterprise partnerships, the enterprise Ethereum Alliance with consensus, that also kind of pumped the price of Ethereum for a long time in 2016, 2017 was one of the big things that brought quote unquote legitimacy to, to Ethereum. But when you look at that, does that actually translate to an increase in value in, in ETH? And I, I'm bullish on ETH. I own a lot of ETH. I'm, I'm happy owning ETH. But do I think the, the, the partnerships there, the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance or anything like that actually contributes positively to the price of ETH? Maybe in 2016 when the world was driven by announcements. Maybe in 2017 when things were driven by announcements. But now, no, I don't. Organic FUD says this. How can they rebuild the 2017-2018 hype around crypto? Seems impossible. Part of me thinks it's impossible. And part of me thinks that human nature uh, and just this industry repeats and cycles over time. So I don't have the answer one way or another. But I do think that, it, that the 2017-2018 hype cycle is one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my entire life. One of the craziest things to participate in ever like it was nuts i mean it was we have what like 300 people on this youtube live right now uh, a few people on twitch so we have a bunch of people on on youtube live having a good time 300 people at the peak there were typically like over a thousand two thousand three thousand people on <laughs> the crypto happy hours which was just absolutely nuts it was outrageous it was crazy i was getting like a thousand new subscribers a day i lose subscribers now there's, there's a waning, there still is a waning interest in retail. And it does come down to a lot of people bought different cryptocurrencies and were sold this dream. And the dream did not materialize. And there are only so many people with really that level of conviction or delusion in these assets that are going to stick around long enough to continue to hold. And people lose interest over time. And maybe even if you still are holding, you're probably just like, I don't want to look at this stuff anymore. I have friends that... that <laughs> I have buddies that bought Cardano at five cents, wrote it all the way up to a dollar and are still back now. And they're like, I bought, they were like, I bought like 5k of Cardano, wrote it up to you know, $50,000 and wrote it all the way back down. And now I'm even in the red. So there are people that bought a bunch of altcoins, kind of either wrote it all the way up or bought the top and have gotten absolutely smoked. So there, there is an aspect to like the ever seeing another bubble again that I do think that there are a lot of people that were negatively affected by it. And I mean, you could certainly see it in the comments as well. Um, you could see it in the comments with, with how things go. There are a lot of people that are, I don't want to say dis, uh, yeah, kind of like disillusioned 
uh, are just very spiteful and not happy with the industry as a whole. And I don't blame anybody for that at all. Um, I also think everybody always needs to take personal, like if nobody put a gun to your head when you're buying this crap, um, then it's, you know, it's, it's, it's on you. It's not, it's on every decision I make is on me. Every decision, um, you make is, is on you. Ultimately, I think, you know, you can be influenced by people, but every decision ultimately you make is going to be on you and vice versa for me. So I do think that there is an element of, of people in general that got absolutely smoked in this last bull run that don't want anything to do with this stuff ever again. And I also do think that human nature dictates that if there is another run up, people are going to start telling their friends and they're going to start bragging about how much money they make and this and that and the other thing. And they're going to start doing dumb crap again, like they did in 2017. And all of a sudden you have this another bubble and you have this another run up and it goes and it goes and it goes. So I think the industry is cyclical. I think you have this boom and bust mentality typically where you have, like I got into the industry in 2013, uh, in December, 2013, I bought the first Bitcoin top and it went up to a thousand dollars went all the way back down to $200. And I was like, this sucks. This is not fun. I don't want to look at any of this stuff. I don't want to think about any of this stuff. But if you stuck around in that time frame, there were a number of different opportunities uh, and you could have done you know, really, really well. Uh, but most people didn't stick around. And then a lot of the people that were around that didn't stick around, they just, you know, as soon as things started going on again, as soon as the ICO boom came back and a lot of the things happened, they kind of rushed back in in spades. So I just think history repeats itself. Uh, at some point, there are some elements though that that make it hard to comprehend. Hank Miller, been here since 2017, got smoked. Yeah, same brother, same. <laughs> and so Jeff Scroggin says, "Is it conviction or is it delusion?" That's the that's the question, right? Am I am I the smartest person in the world for having a bunch of my net worth in Bitcoin, Ethereum, and and quitting a job at a fortune 500 company and working full-time in the industry and creating a recruiting firm that works exclusively with blockchain and, and crypto assets. Maybe I'm a genius. Maybe I'm timing this perfectly. Maybe I'm going to be back working in software sales at a fortune 500 company in three years because quantum computing broke Bitcoin and then the entire asset class got disproven. I am obviously betting on one thing over the other thing. I'm willing to take that risk. I'm a young person. I can handle it. I'm happy with it. I'm cool with it. It is what it is. But other people, you know, there's there's a fine line, it seems like, between conviction conviction and delusion in the cryptocurrency space. 